body is murderous in their intentions towards everybody else. They can't hold them back! Submit yourself to one all-powerful absolute sovereign. Thomas Hobbes, the great 17th century natural philosopher, called this... Leviathan! I like shapeshifters, only a lot more into evil folk, and nothing can kill them. Hello the internet and welcome to the Lands of Leviathan podcast where we discuss popular culture through the lens of political science and international relations theory. My name is Peter and I am a political scientist. My name is Brock and I look at things from an international perspective. Please go ahead and listen to our initial podcast recordings on the website. And that website is landsofleviathan.com, where you can find all our podcasts and articles. You can also find them on SoundCloud in the Lands of Leviathan podcast, as well as on iTunes by the same name and on YouTube by the same name. To keep up to date with us, yeah, please go ahead and like our Facebook page, the Lands of Leviathan podcast. We're on Twitter as well. You get all our feeds and updates from our Twitter account, so follow us there. We have an RSS feed, so sign up for that on our website. And lastly, if you'd like to contact us, send us feedback, please email us at Leviathan, which is spelled L-A-N-D-S-O-F-L-E-V-I-A-T-H-A-N at gmail.com. With that, I think we can begin our next episode. Okay, so today we are looking at the politics of fear. Uh, scary topic. Um, and this episode is actually brought to you by one of our fans who was our 100th like on Facebook. Uh, thank you very much, Samantha Wallace. Uh, Sam and I actually used to work together, which is pretty cool. Um, and she suggested uh, that we do this episode on fear, horror movies, scary stuff. Um, so Brock and I are going to have a bit more of a philosophical discussion on this one than we're, we're used to. It's going to be a bit more open form, uh, but we're really looking forward to it. Uh, so, the other thing And that... uh, you might want to tell the listeners that um, I think we're currently over 400 likes on Facebook. So, we'll do the same thing when we hit our 500th like. That person will try and contact them and ask them for a suggestion of the... Not necessarily the next topic, but a topic to come up in the near future. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and we, we love getting our fans' feedback on stuff like this. Also, just based on that feedback, uh, a lot of people have pretty much loved the um the short of uh episodes uh we've had many more people listening to our third episode which is a lot shorter so we're continuing with that format uh which makes yeah, it easier we'll, for us we'll try and stick to 20 25 minutes rather than boring people with a 60 minute episode where we waffle on for ages yeah exactly um and that also means that we'll be able to run a little bit of a tighter schedule which is nice um so we'll be trying to put out an episode every monday uh, which will be great for us as well as for you. So we look forward to having much more contact with you guys. So with that being said, let's get straight into it. Um, so Brock, if you don't mind, I'd like to give you a little bit of my theory on fear. Now, given that I'm a I, political scientist... I don't care. I don't care about your, your theory on fear. But it's super awesome. No, it's not as awesome as my theory. So let's just skip you. My theory on fear is... <laughs> we need to have our, our launch pad, our departure point is going to be with, well, listening to, to Sam's suggestion, talking about fear and horror movies. When we think about fear, the first thing that comes to mind is Yoda's quote. Ah. He's talking to Anakin Skywalker and he says, 
listen, you can't be afraid, you can't uh, you know, let your, your thoughts reminisce about your mom, because if you get sad, you get fearful. And you remember the quote saying, fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate, hate leads to suffering. So given the consequences of fear, I think it's important that we analyze as political scientists government's role in, with fear, how they can stimulate fear, or how they can respond to fear, how they can generate fear in the, pub, in the public, or how they can react to the public's fear for something. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that what's so interesting about Yoda's quotes, um, and later on what he says to Luke Skywalker, is that fear is always not knowing. So we are afraid of things that we don't understand essentially and i like i like to bring this back to like horror movies like the horror movies that we're the most afraid of are the ones that we don't know what the fuck is going on so um one of the podcasts i listened to recently from the cracked uh team was that we don't really find freddy krueger as a monster that's scary because we know about him we're not scared of freddy krueger we're scared of what he can do but we're not scared of him because we can what is it what is it that he can do Oh, he can uh, uh, he can go into your dreams and basically murder you within your dreams, uh, which makes him. And then you, and then and then you die in real life. Yeah, then you die in real life. So it's like non inception rules. Um, he that, yeah. is, that is stupid. Who, oh, no, who wrote that? Do they understand the psychology of dreams? It's the fucking eighties, dude. Come on. <laughs> but I die in my dreams all the time. It's like I'm oh, no, but if Freddy alive. if Freddy Krueger kills you in your dreams, then you die in real life because. Uh, He's got power over dreams. Like, he could keep you in the dream. Ah, that's yeah. fucking frightening. Did you never watch Freddy Krueger? Of course not, no. I, oh I have God. taste in movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah. so there's a good reason that we don't find Freddy Krueger that scary as a person because he's a known entity. We have perfect understanding of him. Um, however, when we come up against a monster that we, do, we don't know, that's when we're scared. And I think a really good example... Like what, is, like a... Like a Godzilla type? Yeah, exactly. So like uh, in in Cloverfield, which is a movie about a monster oh, yeah. terrorizing New York, we don't see that yeah. monster basically for the entire movie. We just see glimpses of that monster. So we don't know what the monster's capable of. We don't know how big the monster is. All we see how is the works. effects the monster's having. And what that causes is a high amount of fear. But once, as the, as the viewer, once you see that monster, you're like, oh... It's a bug. It's a giant cockroach. Yeah, exactly. And you're like, well, surely a bit of napalm would take Sorry, care of Sorry, that was it. a spoiler if you haven't seen Cloverfield. Uh, like, okay, that was like a billion years ago. I think that we can, uh, we can do spoilers for that one. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, but so essentially that's what we're, we're talking about here is, uh, is what fear is, is fear of the unknown. Once we know something, we're no longer afraid of it because we know how to deal with it. And I think you come to most, two- most of the time, like you still have successful horror movies that deal with the supernatural or like demon possession or something that people don't really know how to deal with that. And that thought is in itself terrifying, but that's the success of the horror story. So it's still, it doesn't just prove anything. Yeah. But that isn't that the thing is that we, we have two reactions to knowledge. One, we, we come up against something we don't know. We become afraid of it. We either work out how to defeat it, or we realize or, we cannot defeat this thing, and therefore and come up with a contingency. Yeah, we run away. Um, so, yeah. e- but either way, we're no longer necessarily afraid of that thing. We're just like, well, I can't okay. defeat this. I got to get out of here. Um, it's yeah, a, yeah, yeah. it's an entity that can't. We're not afraid of the sun, but you know, 
just because we can't do anything about it so like if there was a solar flare we wouldn't be afraid of the solar flare we would be afraid of death which is the ultimate unknown um but you're not afraid of something that's a good one yeah i know like you know i came up with it so of course it's good (laughs) uh okay um so when we apply this to politics uh and specifically i want to talk about governments because i think people have such a strong fear of the government one, because they don't understand government or the state. Uh, two, they don't understand what the state or the government is capable of. And three, they don't know how to react or deal with the state or the government's power and operations. So we as a public, or I'm going to be a bit, uh, a bit arrogant here and say, we as the ignorant public make up stories to deal with our fear of the government. We make up conspiracy theories, we write stories about it, we tell people what we think about the government, but we actually don't have that much to go on. So mm. it's quite a strong fear generated in public about, you know, about the people that rule the country. Mm. And from a historical context, I think that uh, to a certain extent that fear is justified. I mean, like, the, like for instance, and I, I hate to constantly bring it back to American politics, but it's because we know so much about it. Uh, the Americans have a huge distrust of the state, but uh, to yeah. a certain that's historically justified. Uh, the state yeah. in American history has uh, tended to be a the, the classic Leviathan. You know that the British were very much yes. in control of what was going on, and prior to that, in Europe, that that's what the state was. The state was the Leviathan that controlled almost every aspect of a person's life. Today, that's not necessarily the case, is it? No, certainly not in a liberal democracy where the emphasis is placed on individual and communitarian freedom. So there's a strong pushback against state control and absolutism. But there still is the, you know, a few stories that surface every now and then um, that warrant a certain amount of public fear of what the state is capable of. Mm. Uh, I think the most popular case at the moment is public information. What is deemed private and what is deemed public can the state legitimately interfere with information about you, about anything that you should know about. Yeah. If not, they, they issue a censorship act and then suddenly we have a legitimate reason to fear the unknown. We don't know what military operations the government is under, how much they know about us, how much they track us, how much they can you know view and follow our lives. Mm. But it, it, I mean, it's absolutely crucial that the state be able to keep some information from the public. Uh, so, for instance, yeah. movements of military operations, if that goes public, those soldiers die. Um, and I, like the, I like the way you went with that. The, that step is important. It's really important because people often, will, and they have legitimate, this is legitimate criticism, they'll say that we have a right to know what's going on in the country. And as an electorate, that is the basis of the social contract. You, you need to trust your representatives to be transparent and share the information with you. But... When it comes to military operations and protecting people, mm. it, it it's it's not safe to let out every it, 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 every little bit of information that they have Absolutely. because it could leak into the wrong hands who would abuse that and then take advantage of state weaknesses or military weaknesses. Mm. So there's, there's there's a necessity to keep some information secret. Absolutely, and I I also think that so much of the fear that we have is not necessarily a fear of what the government knows now but a fear of what the government is going to do in the future so once the the government has the capability to access all of our information what kind of future does that create for us and 
I'd like to bring up at this point 1984, the book by George Orwell, which was a fantastic book at the time because he painted a picture. I mean, he had a really realistic view of the technology that was coming, you know, the ability to access almost all information at any given time, cameras on the street, CCTV, the government's ability to monitor us was, you know, he knew that that was coming. And his yeah. fear was that that would lead to a dystopian future where the government could then control us through that information. What he didn't take into account was that that technology would also be available to the general public. So the, mm-hmm. these kind of things have a two-way, uh, a two-way street. As much as the government is able to keep tabs on us, we have an unprecedented ability to also keep tabs on the government. So for the first time in human well, history, we know what the government is up to a lot of the time, which we haven't done before. No, I think I think you being utopian, I think we would like to have those those means available to us. Um, and yeah, sure. In many countries, there, there there are those means. There are there is uh, there are transparency mechanisms, especially digital and electronic ones. But I wouldn't say in uh, in most countries you have an ability to as a, as a member of the public to survey or to keep tabs. On the government, uh, you know, we're still kind of relegated to following news stories and to having a vote once every four years. Um, yeah, I, I, but, but I do there agree is, with there you. Is, there is public, to a there is strong extent, public but, oh. interest now more than ever to um, to create those mechanisms. Yeah, yeah, and that's so. The, the, like, for instance, the scandal that broke recently with uh, VW and their emissions uh, problem. Um, it, yeah. That was, I mean, that could not have happened 50 years ago. Or if if it had happened 50 years ago, it would have taken a very long time for that information to get out into the general public. Today, that a, a story gets leaked, we have it online, and VW immediately has to take uh, a step to, in order to correct that problem. It's true. That information does get to us quicker now, uh, and the ability of... Um media coverage to share that information is certainly more efficient now but i don't really like that example because it's it's private sector i still want to see and hear more about government secrets mm. you know it's still a big deal when edward snowden says something or when wikileaks produces something confidential um and i don't think that is happening enough in many countries uh, mm. to prove that this um digital age is properly a 1984 type two-way street Sure. We can we can keep tabs on the government as much as they do on us. So, given that that's, I, I, you know, I find myself swinging around to your side. I'd like to ask you: Do you think that our governments are sinister? That that, that they are, you know, coming at us with this evil intent to keep information from us? Um, there is definitely an intent to keep information from us, but it's not sinister intent. They're not keeping information from us to hurt us. At least not most of the time. You know. As I'm sure if I'd said that prior to the scandal in the United States that the American government had, you know, used all all media, all web platforms to um, to tap what people were saying, what people were searching for in Google, the fact that Yahoo and, uh, and YouTube could actually tell the United States government exactly what we were looking for. And that certainly does hang in the back of my mind when I say this, but I'm still going to say that they, that information is not being used to track us. It's being used to track criminals. Mm. Um, I, they, you, you know, every citizen, 
deserves the right to privacy. I don't think the government should be tracking that. There's, I'm not saying that that's a good thing. I'm just saying that uh, they wouldn't be using. You know, if if we're sitting on the internet on a daily basis, we should. If we're not committing a crime, we shouldn't be worried too much that the government's out to get us. Mm. They're out to get the criminals. They need to. You know, they shouldn't be looking at it. They need to have their fingers chopped off. Um, but no, the, the the reason why I say that, Peter, and I suspect that you'll agree with me when I say this, is the motivation of a government is to protect its people. Yeah. And while most people have evidence to um, hold their government in suspicion of fulfilling that mandate, uh, and again, I think that's a justified suspicion, it's um, we, we have to see the government is made up of a bunch of individuals, a bunch of people, people yeah. who care about doing their job. Mm. Um, you get bad eggs in every company, you get people who can't do their job all over the world, and yeah. even in government. But on the whole, the government is doing things out of fear of its people. It it wants to. It needs to protect its people. Mm. It is responsible for the protection of the state. Mm. So everything that it does, you could argue, in essence, is actually a reaction to lead to the fear of political leaders. They yeah. are petrified of failing at their job. Um, most most leaders are, and they simply try to enact policies, even overarching, maybe even illegal policies. Uh, and laws that, could, while seeming suspicious, are actually done in, in what they believe to be the interest of, of the people at large. Mm. And I, like, I, I would take it a step further. I, I like what you've been talking about, about this this craziness between, the, this analogy between um, privacy versus the government's ability to know things. And the uh, there are many people online that would have a absolute shit on us for saying this, but in today's age, I would argue that privacy is not as important as it used to be. Not only that, but privacy is not as um, as, as held up in in the liberal consciousness as it used to be either. I don't. I think that a large percentage of people who are younger than us, maybe nineteen, twenty, don't hold privacy as being this be all and end all idea um, because of the the very age we live in. And but do you think that's good and right? See, I don't know because at, at a certain at a certain point you have to weigh it up against your own political prejudices. I've been brought up in a society that is has been made to fear the government. Uh, you know, we growing up in post-apartheid South Africa and you know pre-apartheid South Africa, we weren't really that sure of the government's motives at any time. Um, so, yeah. but is that rational? Probably not, because I absolutely agree with you. The government's mandate, first and foremost, is to protect its people. And as you said, that would lead to perhaps some morally questionable activities. But at the end of the day, they are as scared as anybody else. So a good example of this is uh, McCarthyism in the United States during the 1960s. Like, that was a witch hunt of communists. And... um, you know, Senator McCarthy created all these laws and yeah. legislatures to try and stop communists from getting into positions of power. I mean, it was it was it was a very bad time in American history. But I don't think that McCarthy himself was again in a billiard room and going like, "I will stop the communists." <laughs> he was probably sitting at home alone, you know, sweating in his bed, freaking the fuck out because he thought that Cuba, Nicaragua, the Soviet Union and China were just like a step away from invading. And 
yeah. whether or not that fear is justifiable, that fear was still there. And again, and that leads to hatred, as we've already said. Well, they become angry at the... They first become angry at the enemy fear of communists and their capabilities and their intentions, their military intentions. Leads to, I'm sure, in the during the Cold War, there's a lot of anger that mm. you feel frustrated, you feel isolated, you, you would feel alone, and uh, and in this anger, you would start to hate the communists. You would start to feel like they are the ones responsible for your insecurity. Mm. Why you, why are you building bomb shelters under your house? Why are you stocking up and turn food? Why are you uh, afraid? And uh, if you point the finger at communists, it's 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 quite um, it's fathomable why you would hate them. And obviously, that hate leads to leads to suffering. That so, so we can see that the that Yoda's sort of uh, linear argument or understanding of fear certainly produces a very questionable yet tenable understanding of why certain policies, questionable policies, are enacted. Mm. Mm. And I think that that's like if you if you look at how I think a bigger issue in terms of, of fear mongering at the moment would be America uh, spying on their allies, spying on Germany, spying on France, spying on Britain. That yeah. is a serious breach of of trust between two democratically le- elected liberal governments and could lead to yeah. some serious fallout. Um, but well. It, I suppose you question why they see that it actually didn't. Yeah, exactly. Uh, because I, well, I, I have a feeling that sometimes the, uh, the the political leaders on the other side of the pond might be a little bit more rational than some of the American political leaders that are coming up at the moment. <laughs> but but uh, and and also the you know the the reciprocating leaders who were spied on will yeah. issue a nice pleasant public uh, statement, uh, but when they see the you know. Barack Obama, they'll shit all over him. Yeah. In person, you know, behind closed doors. Um, but that being irrelevant, well, moving on from that rather, if we, I, I think the best scene that I could find in a movie, and it wasn't, this, it wasn't a horror movie at all, um, just more of a legal thriller, um, with Tom Cruise, was A Few Good Men. Yeah. When he questions, when he prosecutes the character, um, Played by uh, Jack Nicholson, uh, and Jack Nicholson has that you know that very that remarkable response when uh, when Tom Cruise asks him for the truth. He says, "You can't handle the truth," because what he follows up with is quite self-explanatory. Is that for the movie's purposes, uh, most all, almost all American citizens, and I think this applies universally, is all citizens who live within a modern state. They don't want to know what a country, and particularly the Ministry of Defense, has to go through and what they have to do in order to make its people feel safe and comfortable at home. Yeah. The things that they have to, the, the people that they have to suspect, the profiling they have to perform, the stereotypes they they try to uphold rather than dispel, all serve to protect the country from foreigners or from people who could threaten the security of their nation. Mm. And so they have to stand on a wall with a rifle or a firearm of some sort, shooting anything that looks like it could damage the United States or, or um, uh, you know, or any country for that matter. Mm. And so, you know, Jack Nicholson's character uses that argument to defend his actions and say, if you want to prosecute me for doing something rather questionable, then by all means do it. But I am charged with defending the country, and if I have to be strict, if I have to 
seem like a complete asshole, then I would. I would, because he sees the defense of the country as a, as a, a higher good, a greater good mm. that serves more people than one disloyal or one disobedient soldier in the barracks. Mm. And But I think for our listeners, what's really important to take away from this is that, I mean, I agree with you, that, that scene in A Few Good Men is, I mean, like it's classic. I mean, that's been quoted how many times? It's ridiculous. That yeah. that scene is amazing. and it. But the only problem I have with it is that Jack Nicholson's character is very aware of why he's doing what he's doing. He's very calculate. You know, he's, he's a computer. He says, okay, we need yes. to do this and this and this to keep the country safe, and this is what yes. we're going to do. But yeah. again, and this came up in our last podcast, that's not how it works in real life. In real life, mm-hmm. politicians don't have all the information. They do what they think is best, but they also have to deal with their own emotional constructs that they've built up in their mind. Obama personally may be very afraid of certain political leaders in the world. You know, like his fights with Benjamin Netanyahu, Those are that's some serious tension. He doesn't know what Israel's gonna do at, yeah. at any point. So he takes steps to try and mitigate yeah. risks and conflicts that he sees in the future but those might not be 100% rational because A, he's working from a position of, of not full information and B, there is an element yes. of fear in it. A strong element of fear and I think that that's what uh, the essence of the politics of fear is about is that it's not necessarily uh, the, and we can talk about this when we talk about conspiracy theories, it's not necessarily governments trying to instigate fear in the public in order to manipulate them and to get what they want or pass certain laws. But most of the time, the majority of the time, over 90% of the time, it, it's the government reacting to their own fear. Yeah. The fear of not fulfilling the mandate, the fear of rendering their people insecure and unsafe, the fear of losing control of the economy, all these fears that pressurize them into sometimes doing some very silly things. Mm. But, um, and I'm not, I'm not saying we should sympathize with them. I mean, they took the job, they knew what was coming. But um, it's not that we should try and resolve our fears of the government by making stuff up about what happens at the state level. Yeah, we, it's our, it's a, it's in our interest. It's our job to find out what really goes on there, so that we understand completely. Um, it's not always a manipulative government. Mm. Now I say that in, in you know from from a chair in South Africa, where sitting on a continent where you know <laughs> Africa we can see a plethora of African governments throughout history having done exactly that. Leaders pursue very violent, abusive, and outrageous tactics of just slaughtering people to keep them subjugated. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's not necessarily a conspiracy theory. I mean, there have been some absolute idiots who have run the country. Yeah. Um, in you know, complete. I would say nearly unhuman. <laughs> yeah. The way that they just you know they'll just pick another ethnic tribe and start chopping limbs off to make yeah. them to stop them rebelling. Um, and but that's such an interesting I, I think as a, as a final point that's that's really interesting because when you look at these like liberal democracies that's when it becomes you know it's convoluted fear it's only when fear gets out of control that the damage really happens you know like we've seen with McCarthyism yeah. McCarthy was afraid he needed to spread that fear to the rest of the world to, to the rest of his population so there yeah. was propaganda involved, but from his perspective, that propaganda was true. It's the same with Hitler. Hitler was angry and afraid of the Jews, and he created and so, propaganda. And therefore, he ended up hating them, 
yeah. and suffering because of it. Exactly. He fell to the darkest of the dark side. And yeah, thank you, Yoda. Exactly. Yoda is the best political scientist in the world. Although he could have just defeated... <laughs> He's not a political whatever. scientist. He's a <laughs> philosopher king. <laughs> yes, he is the philosopher king. But there's one, one more thing I'd like to say is when we, when we get to these African leaders, for instance, and it's not only African leaders. I mean, Popot from Cambodia was fucking insane. But yeah. when we get to these people, A, a lot of them, like Idi Amin, suffer from very serious mental disorders. Um, but yes. B, they, a lot of them don't consider the people that they're subjugating to be people. So from their perspective, yes. they are wiping out a almost like a virus that they hate in the same way that you might yes. hate cockroaches and wipe them out that is the way that they look at these at these subhumans from their perspective so again yes, so it it does fit into our narrative of fear but at a extreme level yes it does um but you have to analyze where that hate comes from why are they so angry with these people it's probably because they're afraid maybe not necessarily afraid of the people themselves but they might be afraid of losing power, or yeah. they might be afraid of being dethroned, or they might be afraid of not having a unified state. Yeah. Um, so, so, so at, at a subliminal, at an emotional level, fear is very much still the driving force in those cases. Yeah. But, but this, but that, that's when it starts to get tricky. Then you start needing to deciding um, between what's a conspiracy theory and what is an outright, you know, human rights violation. That actually reminds me of a, a really cool example that's come up recently. So I'm sure that most of our fans have watched the new Star Wars trailer, which I'm super excited about. But the interesting thing is, is that uh, the main character in that Star Wars that l looks like it's going to be the main character is a black dude um, and a black stormtrooper, which I have no problem with. Um, so from my point of view, when I watched that trailer, the questions that were running through my mind were like, where is Luke Skywalker? Is J.J. Abrams going to make Luke Skywalker evil? Uh, how does that guy, how does the bad guy use a lightsaber with a lightsaber crossguard? Like, wouldn't he cut off his own hand? So I'm yeah. filled with nerdy questions and very excited. But the internet had, well, not the internet, but a large amount of people on the internet had a backlash against the fact that there was a black star in a historically white uh, franchise. And yeah. immediately I thought, okay, well, this is just, you know, downright racism, whatever. But once I started to look into it, I realized that these people are legitimately afraid of the fact that they believe that their culture is being subjugated by some kind of almost uh, black conspiracy theory to take away their their, their cultureness, you know, like Star Wars is a white thing, so it needs to stay a white thing, which is obviously crazy. But they've constructed this conspiracy theory around a fear that their their very identity of self is being taken away. But these people are insecure. When we deal with fear in that sense, uh, at that emotional level, they will invent stories like conspiracy theories to um, to provide not just analysis, but a wholesale narrative of why they believe things are going wrong in the world, and if they can provide themselves with the answers then they provide themselves with some sort of security but when we use that explanation I mean that goes more into that goes more into conspiracy theory so I think we should leave that for next week I agree with you okay so uh, everybody thank you so much for listening uh, we already have our topic for next week it's gonna be awesome yeah. um, we're discussing <laughs> conspiracy theories and uh, we will have that out um, within a week after this podcast so uh, the Monday after this one comes out 
again, if you want to contact us, provide us with any feedback, the email to do that on is landsofleviathan at gmail.com. That's L-A-N-D-S-O-F-L-E-V-I-A-T-H-A-N at gmail.com. Um, and Lands of Leviathan on Facebook and on Twitter. One more... Um... Well, we must remind the the, the audience. We must thank uh, Sam Wallace for the for the theme. It's uh, it's given us some more material for yep. next week. We uh, will stick to the twenty minute or the twenty five minute version of these podcasts. Uh, thanks for all the support, guys. Yeah, keep it coming. Awesome. We'll see you next week.